It's time to talk football. Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern Indiana, don't let a outdated prospecting methods put your company at risk. Guys, we are heading to a recession, so learn effective messaging and sales skills today from BrianNicholsConsulting.com. Let's talk football. Yes, joining us on the show once again, the one and only John Ziegler. Welcome back to The Brian Nichols Show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brian. You've got it, John. How you doing, man? Good to have you back. I'm always good to talk to you. Good to have you on, and uh, let's talk football. But first, John, do us a favor. Reintroduce yourself here to the Brian Nichols Show audience. Who are you, and what the heck has you so focused on, uh, I guess, the world of football specifically? We're going to talk about Jerry Sandusky and Franco Harris today. Well, um, that's a long answer, but the short <laughs> answer is that I, I currently host a podcast called The Death of Journalism. I previously did a podcast called With the Benefit of Hindsight, which deals with the entire Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal with a co-host by the name of Liz Habib, who was a sportscaster at the Fox affiliate here in Los Angeles. And that's where I got to know uh, Franco Harris. As far as specifically with regard to football, I never played football in my life, but I did coach high school football in two different states at very different time periods. And I've covered college and high school and pro football uh, for television back in my original career, which was as a television sportscaster. And so um, I've always been very interested in football, and uh, I, I think football is at a crossroads. In fact, I wrote a book about a high school <laughs> football team in Ohio called Dynasty at the Crossroads back in the, the mid-1990s, and I think it was a little bit before its time because uh, I, I believe that football as we know it is in great peril and I think that the Sandusky story, while it doesn't directly deal with football being in peril, I think is is somewhat related to that because I believe that that, that entire fiasco, which people, 99% of the, of the population has a completely grotesque misunderstanding of what really did and did not happen there, is, a, in my view, a classic example of where football was targeted for destruction even though football did absolutely nothing wrong, and that one of the the greatest, if not the absolute greatest, college football coach in history, Joe Paterno, was destroyed over something that did not happen for reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with child sex abuse, which is the perception of what occurred in that story. And we go into it in epic, great detail in our podcast with the benefit of hindsight, which everybody who cares about the truth and, and loves a, an amazing true crime story really ought to check out, but be prepared. Once you get involved in it, it's a big commitment because it is absolutely <laughs> epic in every possible way. And once you start, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible to stop. Yeah. I've heard you dissect this story quite a bit. And, and there, there's, there's so many layers to this proverbial onion. So just do us a favor, John. I mean, I know there's a lot to dig through, but give us the spark notes, right? I mean, you mentioned it. Everybody has a preconceived notion that here, Jerry Sandusky, they instantly think he's, he's, you know, doing dirty things to, to young boys in the locker room. You know, Paterno, he's, he's covering it all up. And there's, that's just, that's, that's what everybody was told, right? And that was the narrative. And right. we know narrative becomes reality. So talk to us about what is the, the truth behind the, the falsehoods and then, also, 
I mean, really help us understand how we got to where we are today with all this. Well, again, incredibly long story, right. incredibly fascinating story. But here's the, the the very, very bottom line of it. The best way for me to describe what happened really with the Penn State paterno Sandusky story is to use COVID as an example. Uh, now, COVID is real. The, the Sandusky scandal was not. But we have a panic which causes the news media to jump to conclusions. They get invested in those conclusions. The story itself becomes too big to fail. And there are too many powerful entities who have a self-interest in the story being promoted. It's not a conspiracy. I am an anti-ardent anti-conspiracy theorist. I do not believe that conspiracies in large scales can exist, especially in the modern era. Uh, human beings are simply not uh, smart enough or proficient enough to pull that off. But uh, basically what happened here is that that all of the good guys in the story were actually the bad guys and all the bad guys were actually the good guys. Wow. <laughs> and um, and I, I really think that maybe the other way to look at this, if it's not through the lens of covid is through the Catholic Church scandal. I think the Catholic Church scandal set everyone up to believe that they had already seen this movie before. That And the casting was perfect. Joe Paterno is the Pope. The Penn State administrators are the Cardinals covering this all up. Jerry Sandusky is the pedophile priest. And the Penn State football fans are the Catholic <laughs> parishioners who are looking the other way to protect their sacred institution of football that all fit, especially to yep. the news media, and it fit to a lot of people who said, "Oh, yeah, we just went through this thing with the Catholic Church." By the way, it was a big story in Pennsylvania, which I think influenced the prosecutors in this case dramatically. I think they thought this was a replay of the Catholic Church scandal when all it really happened was the Catholic Church scandal set them up to be duped by a fraud, mm -hmm. and the fraud's not even—it was not even a good fraud. The, the, the most amazing part about this story is not only that it's completely untrue, it's so obviously untrue. It is preposterous on its face. That's really the most amazing part of the whole thing. I always say, yeah, believe it or not, folks, not only is Jerry Sandusky innocent, it's not even close, but it can't be fixed because, much like we saw with COVID, once the media gets into a narrative and they become invested, you can't go back because then you have to admit you're wrong. You have to admit all this damage occurred because of you and no one wants to do that. And so we'd rather just wash our hands, move along and pretend nothing actually happened. And that's what happened with the, the Sandusky and Penn State story. Man, that feels like it hits home so much after COVID. I'm glad you made that comparison, John, because like we just talked about this recently here. Actually, as over on uh, our, our good buddy Dan Smott's System is Down podcast. And you see this, the sunk fa uh, sunk cost fallacy. There we go. Um, the sunk fa uh, fast fallacy is the thing I was trying to say there. The sunk cost fallacy where people have gone down so far this rabbit hole because they can't they can't get themselves out. If they acknowledge that they're wrong now, that means they, they have to acknowledge all the negative just disastrous things that they have done over the past now three years, which is hard to imagine. Let, let me add something to that. To, that yeah, please. I think we'll, we'll put a good uh, context to this. You know, when I tell this story, everyone wrongly thinks that my target audience are people who went to Penn State or associated with Penn State. And I have to tell people, no, 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 no. Penn Staters are actually the worst audience for what I'm telling them in, in large part, not in totality, but I would say about 85% of Penn Staters are the worst possible audience. Why? 
because they are like people who wore masks and forced their children to wear masks for two years or took every possible vaccine and booster shot. They are absolutely positively invested in not having been wrong. They don't want all the suffering they went through, all the trauma they went through, all the aggravation they went through, all the name calling that they endured for all those years to have been for not been for no reason and that they would actually have to take the blame because effectively what happened here was that Penn State threw five of their very best people under the bus. And so they got duped by a fraud. They panicked. They caused all the damage. And so no one wants to acknowledge that. It's far more difficult for a Penn Stater to acknowledge that they went through all this for nothing, much like it is for a masker or a a vaccine uh, fanatic, because they're too invested. They've gone through too much. And so my, my, my most fertile audience is generally people who knew of the story, maybe followed it, but weren't deeply invested in it and thought that they had heard enough and then realized, wait a minute, uh, the real story here makes, you know, the story Ziegler's telling makes a hell of a lot more sense than the dark fairy tale that we were told. And I got to tell you, for those who have followed me, and I think you're probably in this category, um, you know, I was very much in the category of people who I think was right earlier than almost anybody about the vast majority of elements of the COVID panic. And it's not because I'm a genius. It's because I felt like I had already lived through it because I kept thinking, this is just like what happened at Penn State. And I knew exactly what the playbook was. Again, not a conspiracy, just horrendous human fallacy, you know, failings and fallacies and the tendency to get invested, especially in the news media, which I know like the back of my hand, once they get invested in a narrative that fits their agenda, look out. There's well, and no this, going back. that There's right no there, it's the death of journalism, right? I mean, I know that's, you know, the name of your show, but like, we, we have to talk about this. You, you've been in the world of journalism for a while. You've, you've, you've seen how, to actually do journalism. Like you do journalism. I remember listening to, I think you were over on, um, how was it? It was, uh, Brian McWilliams. No, it was John Odermatt's Felony Friday podcast. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about the case in detail. And I think you were talking about you're sitting at the, uh, the hotel outside the Philadelphia airport. I remember this in particular where you're going through the papers, right? And you, you're digging through everything. I just remember hearing everything that you never would have heard behind the scenes, right? So you're doing the actual work. And you see yet there are people who they do nothing. And yet they're the ones right. who get promoted by the, the three letter, you know, corporate media entities that are out there. So I guess what can we do, John, to help salvage some type of journalistic ethics back into our society? Cause it's so necessary right now when it's obvious that there's corruption running rampant. I mean, every commercial was brought to you by Pfizer. And I wonder why they're not investigating anything on these corporate news entities in terms of what's happening with the jab and the negative consequences. I I, I don't know why. Brought to you by Pfizer. John. Boy, I I wish I had a simple answer or solution to this. I always try to come up with solutions, but this one is very difficult because I I am exceedingly pessimistic. Uh, I actually think that it's going to get worse, believe it or not. As bad as journalism is today, and it has gotten to a point that I never imagined was possible, for a variety of reasons. I, I mean, I think COVID exacerbated it. I, you know, as an anti-Trump conservative, I think Donald Trump 
destroyed conservative journalism and the credibility of conservative journalism. By the way, this might piss off some of your audience, but uh, I believe he, he discredited conservatives on COVID because everyone Absolutely. was 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 perceiving the conservatives and MAGA. We're, we're all Trump fans and Trump's a conspiracy theorist. And so therefore, if Trump says that the lab leak theory has credibility, then they're automatically not to be believed. Well, guess what? It turned out the lab leak theory was very legitimate. Uh, and that's just one of many, many examples. But the point, the larger point here is that uh, I actually think that we have some people my age and older who are still in the business to some degree. And those people are going to be retiring and dying. And what's left of institutional memory of the way things are supposed to be is going to be gone. Yep. And, and we're going to see what's left of journalism be taken over by the 20 and 30 somethings who have absolutely no clue whatsoever about anything. They don't understand life. They don't understand journalistic ethics. They don't understand the way things used to be or no. were supposed to be. And by the way, I'm not looking at the past with rose-colored glasses. There was never a 100% golden age of journalism, but there were eras that were a hell of a lot better than we have today. And I just think it's going to get worse. And so I, I don't have an easy answer to how you fix this. Uh, because I don't think there is one. Do you ever watch political candidates and think, I can do better than this? Or maybe you're curious about how to get involved for local and state offices, but you just don't know where to start. Well, have no fear, because the Libertarian Party of Illinois is holding a four-hour online candidate training course this Saturday, March 11th, split into two two-hour sessions. This course is perfect for those new to running for office, as well as experienced candidates who want to brush up on their skills. And the course is covering everything from planning your campaign to getting out the vote. And the two expert trainers are Russ Clark and yours truly, who are teaching you about your campaign mechanics and messaging. And the training is designed to be fun and engaging because, guys, we want you to get the most out of it. So if you're interested, sessions again are Saturday, March 11th with Session 1 starting at 10 a.m. Central and Session 2 at 4 p.m. Central. Both sessions should be attended and experienced by new candidates and old candidates alike. And the cost to attend is a $25 donation to the Libertarian Party of Illinois. So register now and take the first steps towards running a winning campaign at briannicholshow.com forward slash L-P-I-L. Oh, John, I was hoping for a magic pill. You know, I always hear the, the commercials. They always have a magic pill for something, so I thought you'd have one for journalism. Oh, well. Uh, well, here, do us a favor. As we're going towards the uh, the second half of the episode here, I want to talk about one of your good friends, and actually I know some members of my audience in particular who are diehard Steelers fan. looking at you, Uncle Larry, um, are going to really appreciate this story. You were good friends with Franco Harris, the uh, late great running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers who recently passed away, sadly, days before his Hall of Fame induction. Just do us a favor. I, I mean, We're doing this more on the Brian Nichols Show. We're, we're trying to talk more culture, right? Like just talking about building relationships with people overtly outside of the world of politics. Talk to us about Franco Harris, not just the football player, but the friend. Well, I've had some interesting relationships in my life. I've lived a bizarre <laughs> life. I've been involved in a lot of big stories. I know a lot of, I guess you would call them famous people, but I probably uh, cherished my relationship with Franco Harris more than any of them. I don't want to overstate it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I only knew him for the last 10 or 11 years of his life because of the Sandusky Paterno Penn State story. And he went to Penn State. He was a big Joe Paterno supporter. And the most fascinating part about my relationship with Franco was that I grew up as a Philadelphia Eagles fan you know, out in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I hated the Steelers in the 70s. 
And I particularly had disdain for Franco Harris because he was known for running out of bounds, something I would chide him about all the time. And he actually has a very, very good explanation for, which was I, which I found fascinating. Um, and, you know, he, you could never get a good hit on him. And I just, I just didn't like the guy at all. And then the Paterno story hits, and he's the only one standing up for Joe Paterno with anything to lose. And I thought, wow, I got to get in touch with this guy. And so I spoke with his wife and then him, and then we met. And we 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 spent a lot of time in foxholes together. You find out a lot about somebody in a foxhole. Oh, and he and I and he and I were in some pretty significant foxholes together. Uh, we did events across the country, mostly in Pennsylvania, but not exclusively in Pennsylvania, trying to highlight the other side of the Penn State Paterno story. And his fight was about Joe Paterno. But I got to say, um, you know, he was one of the key reasons why I came to the conclusion that Jerry Sandusky was innocent. Hmm. And and people don't know this. Unfortunately, he was working on a podcast of, of his own when he died just three days before the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which I know he was so, so looking forward to. And um, and it was just so tragic, the timing of his death. But uh, in that podcast, which I thankfully <laughs> he and I had talked about before he died and, you know, he had I, I wasn't even sure that it was publicly available because the last time I had gone to it, I had to use a password that he had <laughs> given me. And thankfully, someone had, had had taken away the password protection just before he died. And so you can you can still find that for yourself um, at upon further review PSU.com. That's upon further review PSU.com. And in, in part number three, unfortunately there's only three current parts. I'm sure he did other uh, parts of this podcast, but I don't know if they're ever going to be made public, but the most remarkable part is in part three, where he discusses what to me, if there's ever a movie about what really happened here is going to be the key scene. And for me, this was the key scene in, in leading me down a completely different path because Franco told me this story that he had never told publicly. And I put it in my first documentary film, the framing of Joe Paterno, which is that. So Paterno gets fired and then he dies two months later and they have his funeral and at his funeral, Franco Harris approaches man to man, mano a mano, Mike McQuarrie, the only witness in the case. Mike McQuarrie was the one who supposedly saw Jerry Sandusky assaulting a young boy in a shower and then told Joe Paterno about it. And that was the key in the media's mind to the whole thing and proved that Joe Paterno had covered this up and that Sandusky was guilty and that Penn State should be destroyed over the whole thing. And so Franco Harris goes up to Mike McQuarrie at Joe Paterno's funeral and basically says, hey, Mike, what what happened? What did what did you see? Because the story never made any sense to Franco, because Franco was an incredibly wise person. And and so he starts peppering Mike McQuarrie very politely, respectfully, with questions. And basically McQuarrie tells him, I didn't see anything. And I, and I didn't see anything that was consistent with a sexual assault. Hmm. And Franco was like, What the wow. hell is going on here? And it was at that moment that Franco knew, knew. A lot of people say, well, Franco defended Paterno because of blind loyalty to his coach. Baloney. He had spoken mano a mano to the only person who mattered in a situation where McQuarrie could not possibly lie. Because if you're Mike McQuarrie and you're Joe Paterno's funeral and Franco Harris comes up man to man and says, what the hell happened? You're not lying about that. 
Okay? And McQuarrie could not lie to Franco, and Franco knew. He didn't suspect. Franco knew that that episode in the shower did not happen. And if that episode in the shower did not happen, that means that Joe Paterno is innocent, Penn State is innocent. And by the way, well, Franco never said this publicly, you can obviously get a very straight path from that point to Jerry Sandusky being innocent because when you look at the rest of the case, right. it's even a bigger pile of crap than the McQuarrie story was. <laughs> but no one looked at the rest of the case because everyone thought the McQuarrie story was a deadlock cinch solid proof of guilt. And it was not. Wow. And Franco knew that. And Franco fought for me both privately and publicly in ways that nobody else did or would because they didn't have the courage. He was the only man who had anything to risk, anything to lose, who risked it for what he knew to be right. And that is incredibly rare in this day and age. And here's a guy, I mean, he and I had nothing in common politically. He's a far left liberal. I'm very conservative libertarian. You know, he's a black guy. I'm a white guy. Uh, I mean, like I said, I hated the Steelers growing up. But we had that mutual respect, and he basically told me, John, you do what you need to do to find the truth, because that's what Joe Paterno wanted on his deathbed, and that's what I want to do here, regardless of the political consequences of it all. So that was the Franco Harris that I knew, and for him to die when he did and how he did was just so incredibly tragic and so typical of, unfortunately, how things often turn out in this world in which we live. But I will never forget Franco Harris. I still think about him at least once or twice a day, if not more so. And I hope people will check out his his podcast, uh, especially part three, uh, because it, it really does tell you everything you need to know about the essence of this fraudulent case. And I thank you for correcting, by the way, it was the 50-year anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, not his gold jacket. He's had the gold jacket for like, what, a decade, two decades? He's had yeah. it for a while. Um, John, this is obviously you know just the tip of the iceberg for this entire conversation that folks want to learn more about. If they do, of course, they can go ahead and check out. Uh, wh wh what was the uh, the podcast you did where you dug on into all this? With the benefit of hindsight. With the benefit uh, of is hindsight. The name of the Penn State uh, podcast, and then my current podcast is called "The Death of Journalism." And your uh, book that that dug into all this, the the, the Joe Paterno. I, I didn't write an official book. I wrote a couple online books, but mm -hmm. our, we have a website called framingpaterno.com and a, and a documentary, which is free on YouTube called The Framing of Joe Paterno. There we go. Not, I, I'm not particularly thrilled with the title because I named it back at a time period when I didn't fully understand what had happened in this case, but we had no choice but to stick with it. But it's framingpaterno.com and The Framing of Joe Paterno a mini movie, which you can find on YouTube. And then the, with the benefit of hindsight podcast. And like I said, the Death of Journalism podcast, which I do twice a week currently. Cool. We'll make sure we include all those in the show notes, folks. So if you are joining us here in the podcast version of the show, do me a favor. Click the artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you over to today's episode where you can find the entire transcript from today's episode, all the aforementioned links. Plus, if you want to go ahead and continue the conversation with John, we'll have his social media links there. But just in case, John, where can folks go ahead and reach out to you should they so choose? Well, I'm almost always on Twitter. And you, so you can find me on Twitter at ZigmanFroyd, Z-I-G-M-A-N Freud, which is a terrible Twitter handle, <laughs> but it's an old college uh, golf team nickname. And I didn't think uh, when I created my Twitter handle back in 2011 that I'd be spending so much of my time uh, on Twitter in 2023. But uh, Zygmunt Freud is where you can follow me and, uh, and, and communicate with me pretty easily. 
Perfect. Well, folks, thank you for joining us. If you got some value from today's episode, well, do me a favor. Go ahead and give it a share. When you do, please tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty, and also go ahead and give John a tag as well. And by the way, we have a video version of the show. If you did not check that out yet, head over to Odyssey, to Rumble, or to YouTube, wherever it is you consume your video content. Just do me a favor. Hit that little notification bell and subscribe button so you don't miss a single time we go live. With that being said, check us out on yesterday's episode. We sat down with Kate Barnett and we talked about interior design. I know, trust me, it does make sense, especially when we talk about how you can do so from a Liberty perspective. I will see you guys over there. Otherwise, with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for the one and only John Ziegler. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to the Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support.